0: and words impart. Let's pray together as we open God's Word this morning. God, we, uh, we ask that you would help us to live uh, and shine like stars in the midst of a generation and a world that finds so much darkness. God, you need not the darkness to change, uh, but you need the light to shine forth in greater ways than we have, and so God, help us to do that. And this morning, God, I pray you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts and that we might live as you've called us to live. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, and everyone said, Amen. Well, last week I began my sermon with a reminder about the importance of the context and how we read these letters in light of uh, the context they're written in. That this letter, Philippians, was not written to us, it was written to a group in the first century, and the specific concerns that Paul is addressing, it's not just a generic letter that any of us can read and I think it's just written to us. It was written to specific concerns. And how I wish we could you know, have the letter that Paul's responding to or know exactly what's going on at this church so we can know exactly what he's responding to. Unfortunately, we don't have that. So context is very important. But there's another factor that's very important that I want to uh, have a conversation about as we start in uh, in terms of the context of this letter. And a great way to do that would be to look at one of the verses in Philippians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to open there. Philippians 2, I want to read in verse 12 for just a moment. Pay close attention to this verse. Paul writes, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, when you hear that verse, what is it that comes to mind for you? I'm just wondering how many this morning, like me, growing up, this is a verse that may have struck a little bit of fear into you, right? Because the first thing I think about when I hear a passage like that, in fact, if you could put that back up for just a moment, that slide, I want us to be able to look at that verse. Uh, it was this idea of kind of uh, individual salvation that I was concerned about. Am I saved? And so I went through a nightly ritual for a long part of my life where I would try to think through the sins of my day and try to make sure I listed off each one. And I always ended that prayer with God, and if I forgot anything, please cover that too, right? Because you didn't want to have something happen at night or have Jesus return and not have confessed all of your sins. There's, in, in our worst readings of this passage, we've been fearful every single day about our salvation. I don't think that's what Paul's exactly talking about. But the individual nature, I think all of us read it from that lens, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But the truth is, our culture forms us to read this passage in different ways than Paul meant it. Because we're an individualistic culture. We read everything we read through a very individualistic lens. We think of pretty much everything that we do. And so we come to a a verse like this and we read... Well, yeah, I better work out my salvation with fear and trembling, but that's not actually what Paul's saying. And to illustrate what I'm trying to say, maybe about the importance of reading this in community, let me uh, go to a different passage, because I know sometimes we think, well, if we just put the Bible in front of people, they'll understand it, and they'll come to know God, and it's that simple. And uh, Some of us, you have probably done this. Just encourage someone who's new to faith, just read in the book of John, and we'll have a conversation about it, and this will come real easy to you. So let's, let's try this out. John 1. Verse 1, I think I've been guilty of sending people here before. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. So here's how that conversation usually goes when I have it with people, right? So there's this dude named Word. What is that about, right? And apparently this dude named Word, this brother, is old because he was there in the beginning with God creating this whole thing, Right? So it creates this odd conversation that if we read in community, if you've grown up in church, you start to understand that this is actually talking about Jesus. And verse 14, talks about he came to earth and he was made flesh, he lived among us. But, but if you're reading for this for the first time, this throws you for a loop from the beginning, right? I mean, what in the world is this? The Word and he was there with God? And it, We can read this in community and make sense out of it, but we think that because we have a Bible on our own, if we just read this as a letter that's written to us, then maybe we can understand it. But Paul would have read this to a community, and some would have known the story of the Jewish scriptures; some wouldn't have, right? But they're reading this within a group context, because think about this. No one has their own Bible that they're bringing with them. They get this letter, and there's one of these letters, and many of them couldn't have, have read what it was, because they would have been illiterate. And no one had a, a Bible that if they would have said, hey, open to Philippians 2.12, they wouldn't know where to turn, because there were no chapters or verses, so we read this in our context in a very different way, but if you look closely at Philippians 2, verse 12, you'll see something. In fact, you can't see it in the English, unfortunately, but you'll understand if you go to the Greek a little bit more about this. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. When we hear that you're, we assume it's well, my, right? It's I've got to work out. The truth is that's not a second person singular you. It's a second person plural you, which means in Texan, all y'all, right? He's writing to an entire group of people saying, work out all of your salvation, your salvation as a group of people with fear and trembling. So sometimes we read this in a very individualistic way. But part of what Paul's trying to say is, as we work this out as a congregation, trying to figure out what it means to be salt and light and to live the kingdom, we do this within a group of people who are on a journey together, that we're not alone. And so it's important for me to confess my sins. And I'm not discouraging you from reading the Bible by yourself each day. I'm just trying to say that part of the wisdom of the community of faith is learning to read Scripture together because often I'll read with others, and they will pick up on things I would have never seen because of the experiences they've had. Or I read something in my 20s, and I'm guessing uh, in my 50s, as much as today, I'm reading something very different. I pick up on things that the Spirit leads me to I would have never seen earlier in my life. And this is how God reveals Scripture to us. So I think it's important for us to see this as we come to these verses. Let's read on, though. Philippians 2. Verse 14. Imagine hearing these words in the midst of that community with the questions they might have been asking. Paul writes, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine like among them like stars in the sky. Now, I'm not sure what you heard when I read this read this for the first time, or the first time you would pick up this passage and what you would think. But there's a lot to this passage. In fact, if you're aware of the Old Testament, the Jewish uh, scriptures, then you begin to have some uh, red lights start to blink on your dashboard if you're paying any attention to the context that's known from the Old Testament. Because a lot of the language in this verse, or these verses, draws up a lot of imagery from the Old Testament. So there are some people that are Jews that may know that background. And when they have this letter read and, and Paul writes these words, they're going, Oh, I know what he's talking about. There's all this background. But others would be new to faith. They're Gentiles. They don't know that story. And so they're taking this at, fa- at face value. And you can have value from each side. But Paul loads this paragraph with all kinds of imagery and language from the Old Testament. For example, that word grumbling, that shows up in Exodus 16 and in Numbers 14. The the words blameless and pure, that's language directly pulled out of Genesis 17 with a whole context all its own. A warped and crooked generation. These are the words there in Deuteronomy 32. And so uh, Paul's drawing on all this imagery and even shine like stars. That shows up in the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 12. So when Paul shares these words, he's not just sharing them at face value. He's saying, you remember these stories from the past and what this language meant? Well, well, hear me in the context of that as we figure out what it means to do community together. Now, many who were there, like I said, they would have picked up on that, but there were others who wouldn't have. And so what Paul's trying to say is, when I talk about grumbling and complaining, there's a story I'm drawing back to, and it's the story of the Exodus. The people of God as they enter into the promised land, the wilderness journey in between. That's language we all know comes from that, right? Or many of us do, right? If you're new to this, that's okay. We're we're learning along the way. And so the Exodus story is a story about God and his people. He's freed them from bondage. They've been enslaved for over 400 years. And finally God is freeing them toward the promised land. But there are people in Philippi who had no idea about that story. They hadn't lived that story. They didn't take Passover all the time like the Jewish generations had going back. Maybe some of them did in this community, but they hadn't had that meal as a constant remembrance of what God had done. What Paul is trying to say is he's trying to go back to this. And what he's trying to say, I'm sure there are some who are Jews that are sitting next to Gentiles who might lean over in the midst of the reading of this letter and say, you may not know what's going on here, but Paul's doing something actually quite brilliant. I'll tell you about it after the letter's finished being read. Or maybe there was a reader of this letter who stops in the middle of this and says, okay, let me tell you a little bit about this grumbling. There was this story about the Israelites, and and they left bondage. But guess what? They left bondage, and they kept complaining. And This is what Paul's doing, is he's trying to unpack all of this, and yet some understand and, and some don't. So when Paul says, do nothing without grumbling, he's trying to say, don't be like the Israelites. You know their story. Don't act like they did. Try to live in a different way. So the ancient rabbis tell this story. It's a story that was told years after the Exodus story. They tell the story about two guys who are walking through the middle of the Red Sea as God has parted the waters. And one guy says to the other, Oh, I hate it when my sandals get mud in between my toes. And the other guy says, Oh, I hate the same thing. There's nothing like having your sandals muddy. And these rabbis tell the story and they say, All the while... They're walking between waves that are parted on either side of them, but in the midst of all that, they didn't see it because they were worried about the mud between their toes. Does that story come alive for any of us this morning? Maybe there are so many things that God's up to in our world, but it is so easy to focus on the mud between our sandals rather than the walls of water that God is parting for our liberation. They missed the miracle because they were grumbling. They missed the awe and the wonder of this story that would be told for generations that a meal would be patterned after the Passover so they could tell this story to their kids on down. And they missed it all because of the mud between their toes. Of course, this has nothing to do with our world, right? So Paul is essentially taking the Exodus story and he's saying, you don't have to repeat their mistakes You don't have to live like they were living. This is how the story went, but it's not how the story has to go. For some of you, some of you grew up with alcoholic fathers. And the truth is, you don't have to repeat that story. Some of you grew up with with moms who were emotionally distant, but you don't have to live that way. Some of you, You you grew up and your parents' marriage may have fallen apart, but you can change the cycle for your story for the next generation. How the story went is not how the story has to go. You can break the cycle because of the grace of God and the Holy Spirit's work to change our stories. So back to the focus of this series, the idea of shine like stars. So how do we shine like stars? And Paul says it's pretty simple. Do everything without grumbling and complaining. Do I have any parents of young kids who would like to say an amen at this point? Do I have any business owners that would like to say an amen this morning? Do I have any teachers? You can't wait to get back to school and put this on the top of your bulletin board as the first rule, right? Amen. Do everything without grumbling and complaining. Now, if you're anything like me and you love words, you're going to love this next part, okay? Okay? 'Cause the word here for grumbling, I looked it up this week and the word in Greek is a great word, okay? It's the word gongismos. Gongismos. What Paul's saying is when you grumble and complain, it's like, oh gongismos. That's the word for grumbling. It's like it's like Greek automatopoeia is what it is, right? It's like, when you grumble, all I hear is, oh, oh just stop it already. Do everything without mossing. That's what Paul's saying. If you love words, you love this, right? There's something that Paul's trying to do. He's like, you know this Greek word. It means grumble. It's, it's trying to basically embody the very thing when you say it. Don't do it anymore, okay? If you want to shine like stars, this is how you do it. Have you ever watched the gong show growing up, right? If you didn't like what you are hearing, like, just hit the gong. That's better than what they were singing like, right? Gong And I've got a suggestion for you, a great addition to some of your homes, okay? Some of you should go out this week and you should buy a gong. And every time you're at the dinner table and, and, and you've spent all this time on this meal and your kids start complaining, you're like, just stop your gong okay? Like, just quit it. Like Do everything without gong-geese-mossing, right? Or, or some of you, you can figure out a way to get one of these in your car on your summer vacation this year, right? Right? Are we there yet? Just stop your gong-geese-mossing. Or kids, right? It's not just, it's not just the kids, right? Kids, when you hear your parents say, oh, we're hitting traffic again. This is horrible, right? Mom and dad, stop gong-geese-mossing, okay? Some of you are teachers, right? You could put this in your classroom. And every time that one student says, I don't want to learn anymore. I don't, you know, I I couldn't get my homework. Just, I I don't hear anything. All I hear is gongizmasing. Paul's saying do everything without mossing. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, complaining. I'm wondering why we do this. Why does someone moss? Why does someone grumble and complain? They do this because we do this because we've lost the plot. We've lost the bigger picture of what God's up to. So when you lose the bigger picture and you get caught up in your own struggles, it's so easy to grumble and complain. And so when we lose like a picture of why are we moving forward and doing this as a congregation? Why are we doing this as as a family? Why are we All we know to do sometimes is just to kind of just grumble and complain because we don't know how we can move forward. We've seen it not work before. But Paul says, do everything without mossing. Now, what brings us to a place of grumbling and arguing? I can only speak from my own experience this morning. But if you're a, a note taker, this is probably a good time for you to get out some, a sheet of paper. I'm not easy to follow all the time. But I'm going to give you four reasons this morning why I think uh, that we gongizmas. Four, four reasons we grumble and complain. The first reason is this. The first reason is this. We gongizmos when we forget to remember. We gongizmos when we forget to remember. The story of Scripture is a story that is always bringing us back to remember the best parts of our story. Remember is a theme, especially in the book of Exodus. What they're trying to say is when you go into this promised land... Don't forget what you've been through. Don't forget what Moses put you through. Because one day, you're going to be on top, and I don't want you leading like all the others did when they put you in bondage. What's fascinating is, Solomon's temple is built on the backs of slaves. They forgot their story. But God says, you're not supposed to forget these things. You're supposed to remember what you've been through. We have this meal of Passover, so that you'll remember God's been at work. But when we forget that, sometimes we begin to grumble and complain. Every week we come together, we have communion together, don't we? And that communion table, that time of passing the bread and the the cup, it's a reminder for us of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's trying to enlarge our vision from whatever small vision we came in with, right? The complaints and the troubles of our lives. We come in with that and the table is a way of expanding our vision, of reminding us what God is up to, that there's so much more and that the victory has been won. But when we forget, we fall into grumbling and complaining. So how many of you have been to a five- or six- or seven-year-old soccer game recently? I, I just want you to imagine that five-, six- or seven-year-old little girl who's going out on the field ready to play soccer, okay? You, you remember the sounds of being there at this event, right? Like you have these parents that are yelling these encouragements to their kids. Like, run, run, run! You know, kick the ball, kick the ball, kick the ball! Have you ever had one of the kids turn around and be like, thank you, Mom and Dad, so much for telling me to run faster, Thank you for telling me to kick the ball. I actually kicked it this time because of your encouragement. There's nothing wrong with those kinds of encouragements, but you've heard other parents on the soccer field as well, haven't you? Just belittling their kids in front of this whole scene, right? Arguing and grumbling about the refs and what's going on. And maybe it's not them, maybe it's us sometimes. And I, I guess my question is is that the place to chastise your daughter? for what's going on on the field. It's a beautiful spring day. The breeze is blowing. The sky is blue. You had enough resources and money to buy that kid's soccer uniform and to put her hair in braids and to take team pictures. You had enough money to, to actually take off of work for just enough time so that you could go and you could be at this event. And what do we fall into so often in the midst of that? Grumbling and complaining. I mean, life is a gift, right? Sport is a gift. A child is a gift. A healthy child is a gift. Can I get an amen? And yet it's so easy to lose the larger picture for the smaller picture. That life is fully a gift. Yet sometimes all I hear on the soccer field is gongizmos. We gongizmos when we forget to remember. There are times when I come home from work and the first thing out of my son's mouth is, Dad, I want to throw the ball outside with you. And you know what my response is? I want to sit on the couch real bad. I'm tired. I'll tell you what, there's going to be a day about 20 years from now when I'm going to wish that every time my kid said that, my response was, get the glove, we're going outside. Because all my kid wanted to do was show me what he could do with his glove and with his arm. There are times that, that I don't want to go to the swimming pool. You know what? All my kid wants to do is to show me that he can actually swim. And, and he wants to jump in. And he wants me to see every move. He even wants me to watch every game that he plays on his iPad. I'm going, I don't, I don't care about that. But there's going to come a day where I'll have a bigger picture of things. And though it's hard to make that yes decision in the midst of the troubles and the frustration, there's going to come a day where I wish I'd said yes at every opportunity. See, most often, grumbling is not a speech problem. Grumbling is a memory problem. It's forgetting that there's a bigger picture, that God is up to something so much bigger than these small complaints and grumbles that we have, that God, this battle's already won, that our kid is a gift, that soccer is a gift, that all the things we get to enjoy in life is a gift. We gongizmos when we forget to remember. Second, we gongismos when we think the future is the answer. We've some goosebumps when we think the future is the answer. See, there was a time when the Israelites thought, if we could just get out of slavery, then fill in the blank. If we could just get to a place. In fact, there was a time in the story of Exodus when Moses says to Pharaoh, we just want to go for three days out in the wilderness so that we can praise our God. And the response is no. And finally they get those three days, which turns into 40 years, which turns into the promised land. And what happens when they finally get that if they've been wanting? They're still grumbling and complaining, aren't they? And I wonder how many of us in our lives are thinking that. If I can finally pay off the house or that car, then finally fill in the blank. Or if we could just get a day where we get to sleep in till 6.30, sometime soon, can I get an amen? If, then we'll fill in the blank. Or if we could just get the college loans paid off. Or if I could just get that little bit, that raise that I need. If I could just lose the pounds. And you all know the pounds I'm talking about, right? If that person would just leave the neighborhood, anyone? So we live with this future orientation saying, if if these things would just happen, then. And the truth is, the then just never comes. And the way we lived before the if happened is often the way we live when we fill in the blank. How many of us fall into that? I'm raising my hand. We gone geese moss when we think the future is the answer. Number three, we gone geese moss when we think the past is the answer. The story of Israel are these people who finally get freed after all this time, and what do they do when they finally get freed? They grumble and complain. What do they say to Moses? Moses, why did you take us out here? Why did you free us from slavery? Basically, right? We at least had food on the table when we were in Egypt. What did you you bringing us out here to die? For some reason, they think the past is the answer, and it is most certainly not. And some of us live with a piece of nostalgia about the past that says, if we could just return to this bygone era, if we could just go to this perfect place in the past, the problem is nostalgia blinds us to the problems that were there in the past when we thought it was so perfect. See, some of us think the future is going to be perfect, and the problems will be there. And some of us think the past was the perfect place. The problem is our, our, our memories are cleansed from some hard things that happened there, too. It's part of what Scripture's trying to remind us is the story's not about what's in the future. Yes, heaven's there. There's a great day ahead. I'm not saying there's not a future orientation about Scripture or what God's bringing us to. But if those things get filled in the way we hope they will, then it's not going to be so easy if we don't develop a character right now of living in the right way, of doing everything without grumbling and complaining, in the same way as the past. The great spiritual mentors in my life, the thing that they do best Is they don't live in the past, regretting things in the past or wishing it would go back to a day. They don't live in the future, hoping the future will be better and brighter. They're able to live in the moment, acknowledging to God, I have everything I need in this moment right now. Life is a gift in the midst of the struggles and the hardships and the joys that I get to celebrate right now. Being present is one of the greatest ways that we learn to be at peace in our lives and to be joyful and into doing everything without complaining. Philippians 2 talks about this earlier in Philippians 2. Next week, we're going to come back to 5-11. I want that to be the center of this series because it's the center of this book, the Christ hymn there. If you want to read ahead for next week, 5-11 will be our, our passage for, for, for the sermon. But, but I want to go back to Philippians 2, verse 1, uh, when it comes to this theme. Paul writes, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... Can I have any amen on that one? If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit... If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. And that's the fourth point I want to make this morning. Finally, fourth, we've gone gizmos, when we get focused on ourselves. And that's what Paul's trying to remind them of is, when you get focused on yourself and when your lens gets this small and when you begin to think about that, all of a sudden all kinds of troubles begin to kind of focus in on itself. But when you look to the interests of others, all of a sudden the crises that happen in a community or in a relationship, i mean, one of the greatest ways that we can learn to deal and reconcile with relationships that are hard is to seek to understand before we seek to be understood. I mean, just to spend more time listening and understanding. That's the first part of any conflict resolution program you'll learn is you've got to understand the interests of those who are sitting at the table. What's underneath the arguments that are being said? What are the true interests that lay below the line? And most often, if we understand those true interests, we can work things out. We can work together. We can compromise in some situations. We can can do whatever we need to to get to a place where we are reconciled. If we can understand what's at play here underneath everything. But so often we have our arguments and we have our desires. What Paul's saying is if you're going to learn to live as a community of faith together, you've got to learn to look to the interests of others, not just to your own interests. And so many problems work themselves out if we begin to start there. The conflict that occurred in Philippi continues today in so many of our churches because we look to our own interests. But in verse 15, Paul gives us a reason why we should do everything without grumbling and complaining. We continue on in verse 15. We read this a moment ago, but I want to read it again. It says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, and why? So that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Now, there are many ways that we can stand out in American culture. But too often the percentages are the same about those who don't believe in Jesus and those do who do our lives look just like those who don't have a hope for the future in the way that we do. Part of the call for us is to stand out in this generation. Amen? And I think one of the key ways we can do that is by just listening to Paul's words. What if we were to be a church that just for this week were to decide, I'm going to do my best to do everything. Everything. Underline that everything. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. What if we decided this noise, (laughs) it's not going to come from our lips this week? And I just have to guess that if we were to live that out, people would wonder what in the world's up with us. In fact, I'm wondering, if we were to watch our mouths this week about this, how many of us would have a lot less to say? Because so much of our conversation is wrapped up in what's wrong and grumbling. I get caught up in this as well. This is not a a shot at anyone here. It's to say all of us need to look at ourselves and say, if we want to shine like stars, one of the ways to do that is to watch what we say on Facebook too. I mean, we've got a lot of people who are on our friends list that are watching to see the way we live our life, not just in our actions, but how our words show themselves. Do everything without grumbling and complaining. I gotta tell you, I, I don't want my kids one day to say about me, hey, you remember that guy? All he used to do is grumble and complain about everything? Oh, I don't want my kids to say that. You know what I want my kids to say? I want them to say, you remember that guy that used to tell us about that story about the walls of water? That he walked through, about the miracles that he saw, not the mud between his sandals, it was the, the walls of water that he reminded us of. I don't want to be the one that rabbis tell the story about that tell the story about the mud between our feet. And it's so often the case, that's what I tell. But when we have our heads down and we complain about the small things that are wrong with God's create creation, what we miss in the midst of that are the wonders that generation in the days to come will tell about, about what he did in our day. And in our age, as a church, that we be a people who do everything we can to talk about those walls of water and stop our grumbling about the mud between our toes. Amen? Let's close with a prayer and we'll close our time. God, we we thank you so much for your word and for your scripture, for the way it still comes alive in so many ways that somehow we haven't uh, come to perfection on this matter that Paul wrote about 2,000 years ago. So God, I pray that our houses would be places with less grumbling and arguing. I pray that, pray that this church and the churches in our city would be a place with less grumbling and less complaining. I pray that our Facebook walls would even be a place without as much grumbling and complaining. Because what we desire is what you promised to Abraham, and that is that his descendants would shine like stars. That we'd be as numerous as the stars. And God, I pray that wouldn't just be in quantity, it would be in quality that we would shine a bright light in this day, not trying to show judgment about anything else, but just to light the path for those who need a step forward. God, I thank you for those in the past that have lit a path for us. Thank you for those people who sit in our rafters, who are looking on, uh, who've been a part of this faithful journey, God, who are rooting for us so that we can finish ours. God, just as Keith mentioned earlier, we we pray that you would come quickly. And if that's today, God, we welcome it. But God, if that's a day in the future, we want to live lives that don't uh, grumble about the mud between our toes. We want to be people who tell others about your mercies and your goodness and your miracles. So we pray this now, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Be standing now as we close our time.